Hello, this is Our Foundations. My name is Joshua. Hello, my name is Joshua. Yes, the same Joshua, just from the future. So I'm coming back and adding in this little clip that I am inserting back into the beginning of this episode to just let you know that if I sound a little off during this episode and this update, it is because right after I started recording, I was interrupted by my wife who looked kind of upset and said there was something wrong. I go outside, apparently one of our chickens had a major issue and was not doing well and was not going to make it and was suffering and I had to put a chicken out of its misery and then come back in and finish recording this episode. So if I sound a little bit off or I'm a little bit unorganized or my mind seems a little scattered, that might be why and I apologize, but just figured I would give the heads up and share the interesting events that had happened that night. And now I will let you get back to the show. I hope you enjoy. Today's episode is the update episode where I will go over an update on what the upcoming series will be, the next series. And also I want to talk a little bit about 9-11 since the anniversary, at least as of this recording, was very recently. And then just a tad bit of information I found out recently as well about uh, financial regulations. So first, as far as where we are, we're currently wrapping up the series on government, basically a series against government. And we've talked about how government is immoral. It is impractical, inefficient, ineffective, that kind of stuff. And then I proposed a model for a voluntary government. And then in the most recent episode, I talked about anarcho-capitalism, and that is the most common proposal for how a stateless society would likely run and run well. And so I've presented that. And then after this update episode, the next episode will be focused specifically on the objections to anarcho-capitalism. So obviously there are many objections to whether or not a stateless society could even function well or be well organized. And even if it could, there are many objections to whether or not that would actually run well and be better than what we have today or what we could have with a government in charge of things. So that'll be the next episode. But That'll be the end of this series on government, and now we're moving on to a whole series on the future of money, and this is going to be all on blockchain. So I'm going to do an episode to begin with on blockchain technology in general, what that looks like, what that is, how it works, all that kind of stuff. Then the following episode will be on Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, so more of the digital money side of things. Then after that, we will look at the other things that blockchain is being used for, things like smart contracts and other types of digital assets and different kinds of platforms and things like this. So we'll do all three of those, and then we'll do a themes episode, which will likely, my guess, although I have not uh, solidified this yet, so I'm not positive, but my guess as of right now is that the themes episode will be on what the likely outcomes could be and what the possibilities are for blockchain in the relatively near future. We have central banks that have been working on uh, cryptocurrencies and digital assets and currencies. Same thing with governments all around the world. We have seen Libra 
be talked about by Facebook. As of now, it's still in the works and has not been released yet, but that has caused quite a stir. And there's a lot of stuff out there, and there's a lot of regulation that is coming down. And so I'll talk about, at least if I stick with my plan, I will talk about what all this means and how all this looks in today's society, what's going on, that kind of stuff. And then in the final episode, I'll do a case study on one or more specific cryptocurrencies or blockchain projects. I'll pick out one or two or three um, interesting ones, ones that are very interesting, at least to me, that kind of highlight some of the possibilities and some of the issues with this new technology. And so that will be the next series that will all be on blockchain. So hopefully you have enjoyed this series on government. Hopefully you will definitely enjoy the series on blockchain. That's something I'm very interested in myself. And then after that, we'll do a series on the future of education. And that'll be very interesting as well. So that takes us to the next section of this shorter episode, and that would be 9-11. So with the anniversary being recent in my mind as of this recording, I have recently been exposed to a lot of information about 9-11 and the subsequent information that's come out since then, and a lot of the conspiracies and uh, reports that are contrary to the official story. And that's what I want to focus on, because that's what I do. I try to focus on the aspects that you may not have heard much about, aspects that are from a contrarian point of view, and I focus on things that are not quite as mainstream, at least is my goal, so that the average normal person can listen through this podcast and be exposed to new things and learn some new things and get some new perspectives. So with that in mind, let's talk about some of the things. Now, I'm not going to go full conspiracy theory on you, but I would like to talk about some of the aspects that basically just seem a little fishy. So Let's start off with Building 7. That's probably the most questionable story that came out on 9-11. And so we had two towers, the Twin Towers, that got hit by airplanes. And there is definitely debate on whether or not a jet plane crashed into a skyscraper of that size would actually bring the whole building down on itself and whether jet fuel actually burns hot enough to melt the structural steel supports, which apparently it does not. But even if we grant that all of that um, can happen and did happen, and that's how those two towers came down, the problem is that there was a third building, Building 7, that also came down. It was about a block away, and it was not hit by a plane. It reportedly was not hit by a missile or have any kind of explosions or anything go on. But rather, it is said that debris from the Twin Towers hit Building 7 and caused various office fires that apparently damaged some structural supports that then caused the building to fall in on itself, basically just like the Twin Towers did. And that seems very unlikely that office fires took down a skyscraper. Now, there was an investigation into all this, but the investigation into 9-11 actually did not include Building 7. But there was an official report that was filed by the group that was looking into all this. NIST is the initials. And the part about how Building 7 collapsed specifically was actually classified due to national security issues. 
And so there were architects around the world that were asking for the details on exactly how this happened because this would be a major safety issue. If a skyscraper can come down due to office fires, then they probably need to improve the code or look more into what building code and regulation is to make sure that the other existing skyscrapers throughout the world are safe. Because if they can't withstand a fire or multiple fires, then they're probably not safe. But unfortunately, that information was not handed over and that part of it was classified. So that's the first interesting bit of information, Building 7 coming down all by itself due to office fires from flaming debris. The next thing would be actually what happened the day before, and that would be on the 10th when there was a press conference held by Donald Rumsfeld, and he announced that the Pentagon was missing $2.3 trillion that they could not account for. Now, he seemed to think that this was just an accounting error and that due to the inefficiencies of the bureaucracy, different people couldn't talk to other people and different accounts couldn't be checked against other accounts. And somehow $2.3 trillion just isn't accounted for. And he wasn't quite sure how, but surely it's an innocent mistake. And so that was announced at a press conference the day before 9-11. And then the next day when 9-11 happened, a lot of the information that was related to this missing $2.3 trillion was unfortunately destroyed in the disasters. And so basically they never figured out what it was and nothing ever came of it. Speaking of information that was destroyed, unfortunately, there were some investigations into major insider trading activity that had happened at the time of the financial crisis a few years prior, there were some very sketchy trades that had gone on that seemed to indicate that certain Wall Street companies and brokers had information ahead of time of what was going on and had traded on that information and made millions or billions of dollars from this and this is fraud and illegal and so there was a major investigation by the sec into this into these different wall street companies and corporations and sure enough all of that information also got destroyed on 9-11 it was being stored in one of the buildings that got hit so that's unfortunate too now, the next bit of information would be about the hijackers. So when you look into who actually committed the crime, who the terrorists were, it's, well, first off, it's interesting that the news was reporting that this was bin Laden and Al-Qaeda within hours after the attacks. Now, I am not positive, but I would think that an investigation into all of this that was going on at the time would probably take more than a few hours to get sorted out and to get all the details from. But somehow they knew right away there was an official announcement the very next day about the terrorists that were responsible. And yeah, sure enough, we went to war over it. And so that's just a little fishy that they knew about it and figured it out right away. But besides this, there's a consulate in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, that we had used often for bin Laden and his allies for fighting in Afghanistan against the Soviets. And we had used this for giving them passports and getting them in and out of the country and that kind of stuff. And so this was an office that was used in connection with the CIA for getting these fighters, these what we now call moderate rebels, 
to get them in and out of these fighting zones so they can fight proxy wars for us. And that was going on, and there is a specific consulate in Jeddah that was used for all this very frequently. That was the main one that was used. Well, it turned out that the same consulate is responsible for 14 of the 19 passports that the terrorists were issued. Also, 12 out of these 14 were actually issued by the exact same person out of that exact same consulate in Saudi Arabia. So that's a little fishy. There's some interesting connections there that go back a long time. Now, speaking about ties to Saudi Arabia, after the investigation into 9-11, the official investigation, there were 28 pages that were classified, and they wouldn't say exactly what this was relating to, but there ended up being lawsuits and issues over this and an uproar, and they finally got released a while later. And it turns out that these 28 pages were basically related to connections between the terrorists and the hijackers and the Saudi Arabian government. Apparently, there was money, there was assistance, there were the passports, there was one of the terrorists that actually had the number to one of the Saudi officials, his phone number, on him when he got arrested, and some other very iffy and sketchy things. So that was interesting as well. Now, did we do anything about this? Did we go invade Saudi Arabia? Of course not. They're our friends. Well, they would never do anything like that. And even if they did, eh, so be it. It's okay. It's kind of like when Israel attacked the USS Liberty. We basically said, oh, I'm sure you didn't mean to. It's okay. We'll give you a pass. That's what we do for friends. But instead, we invaded a whole nother country in the Middle East because of this. But moving on, it's also interesting that one of the passports of one of the hijackers that was actually on one of the planes that crashed into the Twin Towers, this passport was found a few blocks away on the ground, fully intact. And so... I guess it's just a miracle that somehow it didn't blow up and catch fire or whatever else, disintegrate like half of the concrete and steel did in those buildings. But somehow this passport just happened to be found a few blocks away by a passerby who gave it to an NYPD detective. Now, this NYPD detective also has some interesting corruption on his record, but let's not get into that. But just the fact that a passport from... A person that was actually on one of those jets that crashed into the building and blew up and took the entire building down, that passport somehow survived and was just laying on the ground a few blocks away? It seems a little bit unlikely. So the next thing would be that there was a FEMA employee that went in and was given access to Ground Zero just after the towers fell, and he was told to document everything that he saw, and he had a camera crew with him, went in there, and... He reported that under the World Trade Center Building 6, there were vaults down there that were completely emptied. Apparently, they were supposed to have gold in them and other precious metals, and according to him, they were completely empty. Well, he actually did not turn in all of his footage and ended up fleeing the country, 
His wife died of mysterious circumstances soon after. I think that was a bullet to the back of the head, if I remember right. And he had been brought up on charges of killing his own wife, which he was later deemed innocent of. But then after he had left the country, the U.S. was still trying to extradite him back to the country to try him again for murdering his wife. I don't know exactly how that works out, double jeopardy and everything else, but apparently there's some loophole and he claims that they are trying to shut him up and find his information and his documentation and that it's a big conspiracy which, yes, is very common when you talk about 9-11. But the interesting aspect that someone from FEMA that was actually there says that there were totally empty vaults under one of the buildings is interesting. It's also interesting that under Building 4, there were scorch marks on the vault doors leading into the vault under Building 4. That vault actually held... I believe it was over $700 million worth of precious metals and gold. So that's kind of interesting that apparently someone was trying to obviously break in there and probably take that gold, is the way it seems at least. That's the way it appears. There were reports of a tunnel between two of the buildings, and there were some trucks that were found in the middle of this tunnel, And yeah, there was some missing gold. And so there is definitely some speculation that some of the gold had been removed and was being taken away underground. And there was some basically secret theft that was going on. Of course, this would have had to have happened probably before the towers were actually hit. And if so, it would either be a major coincidence or they might have known ahead of time and thought that this would have covered up their activities. But Either way, we don't know. Speaking of the gold that was under the building number four, there was reported to be somewhere between 750 million to 950 million that was stored under there in mainly gold and silver. This, it kind of depends on one category if it is included in another category or not, and that is not clear according to what I have briefly looked into at least, but it was somewhere, it was either 750 million roughly or 950 million. Now, when it was reported that the gold was recovered after the cleanup had been started, after the towers fell and everything, the mayor, Giuliani, reported that $230 million had been recovered that was being stored under the building. Now, $230 million is definitely less than even the lowest estimate of $750 million. So that's a difference of minimum $500 million worth of precious metals that isn't accounted for. There are other reports that say that there are a few billion dollars worth of precious metals in total that is unaccounted for to this day that was all being stored in various vaults underneath the buildings that were destroyed. So that's another interesting thing. Another thing that I ran into back when I was doing research on the series on corruption and conspiracy that I did a while back, the NSA actually admitted that they had all the information they needed to know the details of the attack ahead of time. But either due to ineptitude or due to just not being interested in stopping it, um, they didn't do anything about it. So you never know. It's hard to figure out what to blame on basically the ineptitude of the bureaucracy and of the government, because that is great, and what to attribute towards corruption and conspiracy. 
that also constantly exists in the bureaucracy and government. So it's it's hard to draw that line and to figure out which is which. We can't really do that, so that's why I just basically present this stuff that just seems a little off, and I'll let you decide what to do with it. Now, although there are multiple people, including the president, Bush, who said that we just did not have the foresight or the imagination to think of people crashing planes into buildings. We could have never guessed that someone would think of that. Although that was reported by him and multiple other people, it turns out that there actually were drills that were going on that very same morning that were drilling exercises that simulated a hijacker hijacking a plane and crashing it into a building. And there were multiple exercises that were going on in the area that were drilling for this scenario. This actually caused a little bit of confusion with air traffic control. There were some reports where they kind of wrote off some of the iffy behavior of some of the jets because they thought that they were part of this training exercise or one of these training exercises, but it turned out that they were actually the truly hijacked planes. So that's kind of interesting that we were running basically the exact same scenario in multiple locations at the exact same time that hijackers were actually hijacking planes and crashing them into buildings. So that's a little bit of a coincidence there. For some more recent news, there was a report that was released very recently, as of this recording at least, that was done by the University of Alaska Fairbanks. It was released on September 3rd, as far as I can tell, of 2019, and it was a report, an investigation, a simulation of how Building 7 truly came down. And what they did is they took the models that NIST had set up the way that they said it came down due to a certain structural beam collapsing and then, you know, a series of events that basically brought the building down the way it came down. Well, they actually ran the simulation according to the estimates that NIST had provided and the way that they say it went down. And the simulation did not look anything like what actually happened. So they looked into how a building like that could come down the way that it actually did. And at least according to their findings, they were basically 100% sure that the official story from NIST was not accurate as far as how the building came down. Now, kind of related to this, on July 24th of 2019, the Franklin Square and Munson Fire District in New York passed a resolution unanimously that, quote, there was overwhelming evidence of pre-planted explosives that caused the destruction of the three World Trade Center buildings. So there are definitely some first responders that are part of the 9-11 truth movement, which would be more on the conspiracy side. But this specific fire district has already passed a resolution that says that as I read, that there were explosives that went off and there's overwhelming evidence and a lot of reports. There are a lot of first responders and eyewitnesses that were being interviewed by different news companies the very morning of as the buildings were coming down and just after that reported hearing explosions. And some reported a bam, 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 bam. 
and some reported single explosions. There was an employee that was in Building 7 whenever the Twin Towers got hit, and he, I believe, was on the 50th floor, but I can't remember exactly. He was fairly high up in the building. It was him and one other person, and when these explosions happened, they basically evacuated, had to take the stairs, As they were getting down towards the first floor, he reported that there was a major explosion that happened, and they ended up getting trapped and couldn't get to the first floor, and I think they had to go to the third floor, if I remember right, but the first floor, the lobby, had been completely destroyed from this explosion, and so he was yelling out of the window for help. And some firefighters actually came and set up a ladder. And he said that as the firefighters started climbing up, all of a sudden there was a large sound. And it ended up being that that was when one of the towers actually collapsed. And the firefighters went back down and didn't come up and rescue him and basically rushed away. And then he said the firefighters came back and started to come up to rescue him again. And then there was another collapse, and that would have been the second tower that fell down, and the firefighters went away again. And then they came back, and they actually got him and rescued him and brought him down. There was another man that had been in the boiler room that suffered major burns and major injuries from whatever this explosion was as well, who ended up getting rescued as well. But the point with the timing of the firefighters coming and going twice because of the towers collapsing shows that the official reason that had first been given that the explosion was actually from one of the towers collapsing and that's what he heard and debris from that is what destroyed the lobby. Well, that would not be true if the explosion and the damage happened before both of the towers fell. So that's a little odd, but we don't really know exactly what was going on, just like all these things. They're just very interesting, coincidental, sketchy, whatever attribute you want to ascribe to these very interesting happenings that all occurred during these attacks. The other thing to get to would be that even if you write off all of the conspiracy theories and all of these coincidental happenings and the things that were going on, like the drills of planes crashing into buildings that were happening the day of, the passport that got found just laying on the ground from one of the hijackers, the gold that was missing, the investigations that lost all of their evidence during these explosions, uh, the ties to Saudi Arabia, all these interesting things. Let's just say that these were all coincidence and look at why really did these people want to attack the United States? Well, to put it simply, it's basically all our fault. So even though this may not have been an inside job from this point of view, it would still be our fault because a lot of these people that were involved and the foundings of Al-Qaeda happened from us funding these fighters and bin Laden training him and arming him and training his men and getting them to Afghanistan to fight the Soviets and all this stuff. We supported and got all of that going. And then afterwards, we basically just left them hanging. We left them high and dry. We didn't do anything with them. We didn't help them reintegrate back into society or help rebuild or really do anything. So there, there is actually a little bit of aid. But in general, basically, these fighters were left looking for another cause to fight for. And out of this came Al-Qaeda. And out of that came ISIS. And if you get into ISIS, when they first started, 
the leader did not want them to actually take any physical territory and start up an actual Islamic state in a physical sense because he had said that if they actually did have physical territory, then the United States would basically come in and wipe them all out. And so they would not be able to set up a state unless and until the United States was taken out. And so there are people that believe that that is one of the motivations, is that this was an attempt to take down the United States, basically get them out of the affairs of the Middle East, so that groups like ISIS could actually do something without having to worry about U.S. interference. It's also interesting that when we decided to go after bin Laden shortly after the attacks, there were actually open negotiations for releasing bin Laden and having him tried at a neutral country, and there were a lot of options that were on the table, and we basically turned them all down and said, no, we're just going to invade. And so there are those that say it's an excuse for us to go to war. There are many reasons. There are many people involved. There are government officials. There's Dick Cheney. There's Bush. There's the CIA, the NSA. There are lots of groups overseas and in the Middle East that are involved here. There's lots going on with the 9-11 story. And there's way more than I'm going to get into at all. But... I at least wanted to present these interesting bits of information that I've come across over the years relating to this. Most of it is not necessarily conspiracy theory. It's just information. It's stuff that happened. It's stuff that hasn't been answered and accounted for, at least not very sufficiently. There are things that contradict the official story. And so I I don't know who is responsible. I don't know if the U.S. government knew about it ahead of time, or if they basically gave the okay or gave the idea even to al-Qaeda ahead of time. The CIA could have done that. They have done that. The FBI has done that. The ATF has done that, where they infiltrate different groups, usually domestic terrorist groups, and then they have their informant present an idea to do this terrorist attack. And then before the terrorist attack is carried out, then the FBI or the ATF or whoever it is comes in and raids the group and arrests them all, and it's this big deal. But it actually came from the same group that is arresting everybody that has happened. So someone could say that the CIA could have done something like this with Al-Qaeda. Maybe they had people involved. Obviously, they were involved with bin Laden and a lot of those people and those fighters. So it's, it's possible or it's possible that maybe the CIA carried it out by themselves and these hijackers did not exist or maybe they were not the ones actually flying the planes there are reports that one of the hijackers when he came to the united states and was taking flying lessons couldn't even take off in a plane and basically the instructor had said that there is no way he could pilot a plane much less actually crash it directly into a building of that size but a lot of iffy things so that that could be what happened i mean who knows Who knows? I don't know. I really don't. It could be just that there are people in the Middle East that hate us probably because we killed their family and they wanted revenge. That's very possible too. It is definitely true that the situation at a bare minimum was taken full advantage of by the Warhawks in the U.S. and we took advantage of it, took territory, and did what we do. And so that's about all I'm going to get into here related to 9-11. So, happy anniversary. Moving on. 
The final thing was something I ran across just a few days ago, and this would be a bill called FASAB 56. It's F-A-S-A-B 56. And this was passed in 2018, so a year ago roughly, according to when I'm recording this. And according to this regulation that was passed, they made it legal basically for government departments to cook the books if there was something related to national security that was involved with the accounting and reporting or the money or basically anything. It's interesting that during the public comments period for this bill, HUD, which is the group for housing and urban development in the United States, came out and said that this was a very important bill. It would help them out a lot, and they really need to get this passed. And so it begs the question, what does HUD have to do with national security? Housing and urban development? Eh, seems a little iffy there. But pretty much every government department is probably very happy that this got passed because they can just say that, hey, this is a national security issue. And because of this, we're going to erase this billion dollars that we spent. And eh, let's say it never existed. Or let's say it got spent on something totally different. And there is no structure for how to report the true spending. There is no oversight over when departments actually do this and how they account for it. And there's just really no structure or system set up to deal with this at all. It's basically just that these departments, basically any department, CIA, the NSA, HUD, apparently, so probably just about anybody, can now spend money billions of dollars if they wish on basically whatever they want. And if they say it has to do with national security, then they don't have to report it and they don't get audited on it. And they can actually alter their books and their accounting records to make it look like they never spent that money or had that money or spent it on something else, basically whatever they want to do. So now you no longer have to have the CIA running drugs or something like the Iran-Contra conflict, uh, doing money laundering and drug running and gun running and all the things that the CIA has been busted for many times in the past. They no longer have to do this to make money for their off-the-books operations. Now they can actually just alter their books. They take an eraser or probably hit the backspace key in one of their accounting software programs and all of a sudden they have a billion dollars for a black ops operation. So that's good for them but I would say it might not be so good for the country as a whole. Maybe you have heard of this or heard it when it was being discussed at the time, but I actually never ran across this. I didn't know anything about it. This was totally new to me, and I thought it was very interesting and relates to a lot of the stuff we've talked about, so figured I would mention that as well. And that sums up everything that I was going to talk about in today's brief update episode. So, please come back next time as we wrap up this series on arguments against government systems and alternatives with our case study on objections to anarcho-capitalism. That'll be a very interesting one. I really enjoyed the one on anarcho-capitalism to begin with, and I think I like this next one even more. It's, to me, it's a very fun thing to dig into, and so I personally at least really enjoyed it. I hope you do as well please send me feedback. You can find any links or any information you want to know about the podcast in the show notes and feel free to do so. So thank you very much for listening and I'm out. Peace.
Thank you for listening. Goodbye.